encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So we reached the end of 1 Thessalonians. John spoke to us a bit about it last week, early on in the book. But just as a bit of a recap, it's one of the earliest Christian documents that we have. It was written around 50 AD, so actually really close to the time of Jesus' death. And it's written to the church in Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a very early piece of writing that we have. Now, the reason I said that I'm not going to explain most of the passage, you probably picked up, there's an awful lot going on in this passage. I counted at roughly 16 different instructions in 17 verses. And you could probably count more, depending on how you split them up. So there is a lot, and each one of those is a reflection of sermon in itself. So I've just picked one. But a couple of initial thoughts about what do we do with passages like this when there's just bam, 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 just instruction after instruction after instruction. One of the commentators I read, um, a guy called Best, suggests that these are general instructions rather than specific. So it's probably that these are just general rules for Christian living rather than there being a specific issue in Thessalonica. In other um, letters done by Paul, and this one was done by Paul, Timothy and Silvanus, um, when there's an issue in a church, they spend a lot longer talking about it, chapters at a time sometimes if there's a particular thing. So here, it may not be that any of these were particularly a problem in Thessalonica. It's just a reminder that these are things to keep in mind. And I felt, um, and Tom Wright said something really helpful, which I thought was really helpful. The idea that Christian behaviour is like a language. And we can sometimes get confused, going, well, didn't, didn't Jesus come and, and replace the law? We didn't we don't have to live by rules anymore as Christians. That's an amazing message of grace. And it's true. We don't have to listen. We don't have to live by rules anymore. But when you're learning another language, you have to learn the rules. You have to learn the grammar. And eventually, if you get really good at another language, they're just second nature. Like our mother tongues, we don't think about the grammar of English. We just know what it is and we can use it. And the same way Tom Wright was saying... These sort of instructions are a bit like that. They have to be stated because actually people are learning what the rules are of Christianity at this point in time. And eventually they become second nature and we just take them on and we don't have to think about them anymore. But I think even for those of us, if we've been a Christian for a long time, it's still good to have a reminder every now and again of what, um, what should be second nature. 
the uh, Thessalonian church um, was made up of quite a number of Jewish converts. There was a big Jewish population in Thessalonica, but it also had a lot of pagan converts. And particularly for the pagan converts, this was a completely different set of rules. It's hard for us to understand just how countercultural Christianity was. Those who were Jewish, they were still having to learn new rules, but perhaps not as many. But for the pagans, actually, this is a whole new language. For us, because we're in a, a society that's been historically Christian, we're quite familiar with quite a lot of these. But for them, it was a whole new language. Another important thing to notice about this whole passage is right at the beginning, it says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard for you. It's not addressing the leadership. I mean, it is addressing the leadership of the church, but it's actually addressing everyone in the church. So it's not something we can just skim over and go, oh, that's just for the leaders to listen to. This applies to everyone who is a Christian. But I just want to quickly focus on verse 21. Hold on to what is good. It's paired with verse 22, reject every kind of evil. Now, it clearly here links in to the verse before. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to the good. But the grammar is actually means that it, can, it links into the other bit as well. It can go either way in the sentence. And that's true. Obviously, if there are prophecies that are being said in the church, it's really important to test them and to hold on to what is good and to discard what is not. But it's also a more general principle as well. I think we can recognise that. Hold on to what is good and get rid of the evil. Reject the evil. There was a a saying that was attributed to Jesus, which the early church used a lot. It says, become improved money changers. It hasn't come to us in scripture, but there were a number of sayings in the early church that were attributed to Jesus. And a man called Clement of Alexandria uses this to explain this passage. And he said, become approved money changers who reject much but retain the good. The idea there being a money changer didn't just switch currency, but they worked out what was counterfeit and what was genuine. And so Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus here are encouraging us to test what's the genuine coinage, what is the counterfeit Fake coins, counterfeit coins were a major problem at this time. But obviously it's not a literal thing. It's talking about the teaching. Test what the teaching is. Test what the signs of the Spirit that are being exhibited are. Are they really from the Holy Spirit or is it something else that's going on? Is the teaching that you're receiving, test it. Is it good? If it is good, hold on to it. Hold on to it tight. But if it isn't, ignore it and reject it. I thought, in terms of thinking that we're you know, a week away from Christmas, in case anyone hadn't noticed, the, I think the reason that that particular verse that stood out for me is that sometimes it's easy to get caught up with everything Christmassy, all that it goes with it, um, and to take it all on board. Or, conversely, to get really cynical as well and be like, it's all over commercialization, it's all horrible. And, I get really cynical. But actually, there's a point in, as a general principle, applied to prophecy, but also we can apply it to Christmas as well. Hold on to what is good. What is good about this time of year? What is good in the way that we celebrate as a society? And let's hold on to that. 
But if it's not good, let's ditch it. Let's work out what it is. And obviously, one of the things that's most good about Christmas is remembering what it's actually about as well. Enjoying all the traditions and all the, the, the stuff that goes with it, but holding on to the good news that is right at the heart of Christmas message. So it's a simple thought today. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil.